Hello, welcome to episode 21 of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Today I'm going to interview artist Nikki Hill as a second episode to repeat and grow. So we've taught you everything about how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. And now you have to start it all over after this release, right? After this single album masterpiece, whatever you've shared with the world. So um, we discussed that with Nikki. And two quick things before that interview. Well, maybe like two and a half. First, I don't think I ever covered, in fact, I know I didn't, um, setting up like a business entity. And, you know, the <laughs> the reason I want to address this is I see students and artists often set that up right away or you know, maybe you hear from a family member, like, do you have an LLC? Um, so I just want to share my experiences with that. Um, you know, to be totally honest, it's not something we necessarily ask artists um, when we take them on in the early days. It's not necessarily a priority, um, mostly because it's a few hundred dollars to set up a business entity. So I appreciate the enthusiasm out of the gate, but you don't have to set yourself up as an entity to become a business. Um, obviously, you can, um, you know, you can collect income on your music as an individual. I am not a certified public accountant, but, um, you know, just keep in mind your business expenses, right? So, you know, Anything that you're using for work for your music career is a business expense and definitely consult with a local tax attorney as far as those deductions go. Um, but, you know, obviously you're going to want a business entity at some point. I guess I'm trying to say like you don't need it from day one. So don't feel like you need to spend $400 out of the gate. There are plenty of artists um, that just run their uh, businesses through themselves. But, you know, when you do have a few hundred dollars <laughs> laying around, that's when you can get set up. But it, I just don't think it really needs to be a priority when um, it's day one and, and you haven't even set up your income streams yet. But then comes the question, you know, what type of entity should I set up? And again, this is where I hear from, you know, clients, family members who are like, did you set up an LLC? And And there's nothing wrong with an LLC, but um, you need to consult a local, I, I would say, you know, certified public accountant, ideally, and if not, um, a bookkeeper, but, you know, I, I would go with the CPA for sure. Um, ideally you want to talk to someone who has some sort of experience in music, uh, would be great. Um, and again, that's more specific to me than entertainment, because as we've learned, there's so many different revenue streams in music, and a lot of them were set up, you know, to be confusing in the pre-digital era or became confusing as they evolved to digital. So um, that's important. But yeah, whenever I've had an artist set up an entity, I've always deferred to their, you know, business manager, accountant, again, just some sort of local certified public accountant or really, really good bookkeeper. Um, and I say that because everyone, every state, and I'm obviously speaking from an American perspective, um, sorry to my 40% international uh, listeners, but um, yeah, each state often has, not often, it does have its own laws as far as entities go. Um, so again, I always defer to the local um, tax 
expert, right? The local accountant, um, because they're going to let you know like, oh, you know what? You're based in, I'm making this up. You're based in Montana. S-Cores are great for Montana. I mean, for what it's worth, um, you know, my two entertainment companies that I've had over the years have been S-Core, um, S-Cores rather, um, because that's a little bit easier uh, on our end as far as, you know, expenses and and taxes go, just as far as getting all the information to our, our bookkeeper and accountant. I'm not telling you to go with an S-Core. I'm just telling you that the answer isn't always an LLC because your uncle said so. <laughs> and at the end of the day, if you do not have, you know, an extra $400, please do not, you know, stress about this because I'd rather see you investing um, that money in yourself, in your health, in your wellness, in your career, um, set up an entity when, when you have the money to do so. Um, so again, that's not a huge concern of mine, but I see a lot of students and artists like spending their first few hundred dollars on setting up an LLC and cause that's what they think they're supposed to do. And again, I'm not telling you to not set up an LLC, just please consult with a local, um, accountant or really, really good bookkeeper. Um, and you know, the only advice I will give is just wait till you have the money to do it because otherwise there isn't really a point of doing it. Okay, one last thing. Um, I definitely made my thoughts clear to Anchor, who quote unquote distributes this podcast uh, via their customer service. I, I shared some information about that, I believe, two episodes ago. And I did hear from many listeners on that who had also had frustrating experiences with Anchor. Um, so uh, they are now re offering me the super high uh, CPM rate. So you might hear those ads again. I don't know if I have to re-record them. I mean, I'm getting too into the weeds explaining this to you. But I'm mentioning this because if you see an injustice, speak up. And I don't know how I feel about that injustice yet. I, I could be guessing. I could have just hit X amount of listens and now they're going to make you know ads available for me. Um, but I made it clear to them that they are you know, getting people to create content for Spotify and not paying them. So... Um, with that model, it looks like musicians have a pretty sweet deal. And again, just just a reminder to, you know, ask questions, you know, and intellectually push back on things. You know, I pointed out to them that I think they are headed for a PR disaster if they don't start compensating podcasters. So lo and behold, you might hear some anchor ads again. Um, and as I made clear, or I try to make, I, as I try to make clear in that ad, um, tweet at me or hit me up on Instagram at emwizzle, W-I-Z-Z-L-E, um, if you want more information on my experiences with Anchor. Or you can just listen to um, two podcast episodes ago where I talk about that. So I will definitely keep you posted on my experiences with Anchor. Um, as of now, I will probably not work with them on my next podcast. They'd have to like blow me away and some amazing reason and, and change, you know, from some of the issues that, that I shared previously. But for now, I guess they're trying to make me happy by offering, you know, this, this ridiculously high CPM rate to promote their product. But, you know, it could just be a coincidence too. So that's all I've got for today. Um, we are starting to wrap this podcast up, which is very sad. Um, it was always a set series and vision. Um, you know, at the same time, I'll share more of this in the last official episode of this podcast, which is coming up coming up in a few episodes. 
Um, but if you have ideas or topics that you feel that I missed, let me know. Um, I already have some ideas for that. Uh, you know, I, I feel very strongly about the information that I've shared with you. But again, you know, it's from the perspective of a musician who writes their own songs and releases it and performs live. And that's not everyone, right? So I heard from a drummer who just picked up the book. And I I genuinely feel that there's a lot of, lot of value in it, uh, in him reading the book from a drummer's perspective, right? Because he's going to understand what's expected of him for session gigs, you know, um, Maybe he knows this already, but, you know, that signing a work for hire is not scary and is totally standard. So um, I might branch off and do some special episodes in the future um, from the perspective of not being the person who writes and records and releases and, and plays live. I mean, obviously, a drummer plays live, but that that was really interesting to me. And also, I you know, I've definitely mentioned throughout this podcast that I used to tour manage. Um I taught a tour management workshop at Hofstra University once that the students were psyched about. And then when my students at NYU heard about that, they're like, oh my gosh, can we get one too? And um, I just, you know, I this is starting to change. I know there are a few music and music business programs that have some sort of, you know, live or touring component. But um, yeah, that's definitely information that people want. Um, I was paid well as a tour manager out of college. That should be, you know, part of the point of going to school is, you know, hopefully getting a job and, and making money when you graduate. So I'm, I'm, I'm bummed when that gets over. I have my thoughts on why that's overlooked, but maybe we'll spare that for that special episode. And also, I, you know, I heard from a uh, crew member um, who just was, you know, like... I'll just be open, just, you know, like just gave a, a a hired crew member just gave a contract, you know, to a manager and artist like the day they were leaving for tour and then was asking for more expenses. And um, I've never seen a crew member, um, you know, give a manager a a contract. And I know this person means well, um, but it sounds like there is a lot of confusion and, um, you know, just not enough clear information out there about, you know, touring and tour management and being a crew person and being an artist on the road. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe breaking some of that information down just in the hopes of making everyone's lives easier (laughs) if we all have access to the same, you know, um, standard information and, and look, standards, exist for a reason, right? Like I feel really strongly like learn everything you can about an industry or a system and then you can make changes. But a lot of times, um, you know, best practices exist for a reason. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, I'm like I said, I'm definitely going to wrap up this podcast in a few episodes, but I have some ideas for special episodes to hopefully help inform people on information that might not um, be super accessibly out there otherwise. Okay. So thanks again um, to Matthew Wong for composing this beautiful music, for Nathan Kane for engineering this podcast. And now I will let myself take it away as I interview artist Nikki Hill for the second installment of Repeat and Grow. Enjoy. 
Thanks so much for being here, Nikki. Thank you so much, Emily. I am so excited to be here. Good. Um, so tell us how you got your start. When did you first fall in love with music? When did you first start playing music? Oh, man. Well, I fell in love with music um, at a really, really young age, actually. I started singing um, in the gospel choir, which is, uh, I guess, super typical of your you know, Southern kids. Um, and at that point, though, what I realized I loved the most was the energy. Um, I went to a really like upbeat, uh, super heavy gospel church. And, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the church part because especially as a kid, I hated getting up in the morning and going, but when um when you watch the response of the of the people when you saw the way the music touched them when you saw the way they reacted to different beats and different grooves that was the thing that just really caught me and um it really just continued from there um i my sisters are a bit older than me that i grew up with and so mainly i kind of mocked them and followed them around. And then I got to the point where I kind of wanted to find my own thing. I wanted to be a little bit different and (laughs) that kind of thing. And I, um, as much as I listened to a lot of, uh, grew up on a lot of rhythm and blues, a lot of neo soul, a lot of hip hop at home, I started getting really into rock and roll, into punk rock, into the blues And uh, that kind of led my journey along and really music became such a um, such a forefront that it it really encouraged the way that I met people. Even at a really young age, Um, I started sneaking into live shows when I was about 13 and (laughs) um, just going from there. Uh, But at the same time, it still seemed like such an inaccessible, you know, career, I guess. The, the word career didn't even touch music for a long time for me. Um, but then I, I uh, just got to a point where I was writing a little bit on my own, nothing that I was showing to anyone. And um, when I married my partner, I started kind of revealing some of these songs and things that I've been working on. And uh, my partner, who is a guitar player and plays guitar in my band, (laughs) um, he was kind of mad. He was like, why are you holding on to this? So why are you hiding this? Why are you, um, you know, not not pushing this along? And that was never really a plan for me. But at the same time, we uh, we took what we both had and ran with it really more not so much as a career, but actually to eat. (laughs) And, um, we started picking up these little duo brunch gigs and, and different little things like that around town where I could kind of practice and, and we could make some money, get some food. Uh, and the word started to spread when we were in town and, uh, the response just ended, ended up being so cool that I was like, okay, I'm going to try to book some shows. So, um, when, uh, when my partner was out on tour on his own tours and stuff like that, I would 
in town uh, in the in between my day jobs I would book these small gigs with some of the local musicians and it really just took off from there I, w- I was still convinced that it was just this fun thing that I could do every other weekend and then um the power of the internet and the power of YouTube and word of mouth and suddenly I was getting emails about albums and when was I coming to insert this state, insert this country? <laughs> and um, I said, man, okay, well, fine, I'm going to do it. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much how it, how it, uh, how it happened. It was a true whirlwind and I still get caught up in it to this day. So, um, but, but it has been a trip. Phenomenal. That's amazing. Um, so as mentioned, uh, I'm going to take you through the book, um, kind of through the lens of your career, which is what we've been doing with artists on this podcast. And, and that's also like the point of this episode, right? Like yeah. learning all this stuff and then repeating it and growing it every time you, you release new music. So starting at the beginning of that process, uh, you know, when do you know you're ripe and ready to record, um, as opposed to like you know, if you ever feel like you're forcing it, if that makes sense. Well, that's been, you know, me mentioning that it being a whirlwind, it, um, honestly, that's one thing for me that never had a chance to uh, really fall down, to really come down to a um, sort of comfortable on my own thought process or on my own time kind of point. And I, I discussed this with a lot of other, especially other independent artists like myself of, um, you know, suddenly things start uh, sometimes at times when you weren't quite uh, prepared. So I can't say that I was necessarily prepared, but I, it, it never stopped me from, just uh, attempting to teach myself what I could and absorb what I could during the process. Um, I love working under pressure. And unfortunately, I kind of let that lead, (laughs) let that lead everything. Um, But that also meant that I uh, didn't really let myself get to those, oh, this is a comfortable time to record sort of, sort of points. Um, It always became you need an album because you have to have something on tour. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I, uh, I'd say really only in the very beginning when I made my first EP and album was where I had that time to really say, I have material together that I want to actually put on an album that I've, you know, put this together. These are the songs I've written for this. And, um, but it's interesting because looking back now, I, I didn't really get to see the appreciation of being able to do that. It, it, I wasn't sure what the process was like. I was just kind of rolling along with what was going on. Um, but you know, I write as often as I can. So in some sense, if you're ready for me to go into the studio, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. Um, I, it was interesting reading your book and going down the checklist and funny how some of those things organically fell into place for me. And, um, it's really wild. 
I'm, I mean, it still blows my mind, Emily, that I, that I do what I do. <laughs> so there's part of it that is, um, it's interesting reading through that checklist of, of putting together the team and getting your recording process together, um, that some of those things developed for me by default because I just happened to, I hate to say I was in the right place at the right time, but I guess that's the nature of the business in many points. You know what I mean? Um, I, well, my first album, I, um, was working with a team that was really, um, we were really all just very into what was, we were into the energy around it. And it was, it was actually a funny thing because I, um, at the same time I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to start looking, looking up, looking up and researching how to do it. So in between doing these shows, I mean, I went from like a show every other week to touring full time almost. I mean, it was like a an immediate transition. Um, so in the meantime, I was trying to educate myself because a lot of the musicians that I am close with, um, not that there wasn't mentorship, but a lot of, I, I, um, uh, friends with a lot of side men too, which didn't necessarily have the, uh, kind of band leader approach or the forward mm-hmm. approach of creating their own music. So as I was researching things on my own, um, I, uh, by the time we got into the studio, I was definitely unsure about production, about splitting that work, about credits and things like that. And thankfully I had a team at that time in, in that, with that particular recording that, you know, helped, uh, teach me along the way. And, um, uh, but also with that kindness, um, it, it wasn't the same approach as, um, figuring out points and figuring out splits. It was, uh, it was a session where everyone was work for hire. Um, everyone got paid, everyone got credit on the album and then it was my album. Um, and that was how it kicked off. As I continued on it, it ended up kind of becoming the same thing because I realized I wanted to, just really have my hand in the whole process too. And I was really lucky to work with people that were into that. So on my three full length albums, I've, um, I've always been co-producer, um, which has been a great experience. And I still learn something from that each time. Uh, but the feeling of getting prepared, I, I don't know. I keep an arsenal of songs just ready. I, as far as putting the albums together, admittedly, it comes down to how many songs end up sounding really cool after we record them and what gets, you know, what then gets placed, um, uh, kind of in a, in a upfront at the moment type situation. So I don't know if that explains anything, but I love that. It sounds as chaotic as it is. Oh my goodness. No, I, I feel you. And, um, you know, this is just a microcosm of that, but even this podcast, like, you know, we're taping this in December, it'll be released in 
first quarter 2021 like this was this podcast like I've been meaning to do since March yeah but <laughs> but but I voted took over and so I blocked off like November and December to do this I'm like this is my baby this is what we're doing and now we're producing another music festival so I understand <laughs> and I talked to Cam Franklin for this episode awesome. uh, for this chapter's episode Yay, I also, love yes and she she's said you know said something very similar to you it's just like well this is the time to do it so we got to do it and um I've been feeling that as well and and yeah. you know if it's something you really want to create you just figure it out yeah, that's it. The really this whole thing has been just figure it out and just being super motivated. And, um, you know, when there's a task at hand, I'm just ready to complete it. I don't like that. I'm I'm definitely um, <laughs> the hard part for me, I think, is my my like punk rock roots definitely kind of push back a lot against against myself and just against everything that's going you know everything that goes on in the process and there's times where I'm just really I get really uh, been out of shape over that um the demand side the um you know the the push for the music versus versus the ability to have time to develop and stuff like that but like I said before, um, at times the the push is, is really what, what can get you going to. Um, and I've been so lucky to continue to tour and not have to release an album every year for because for as much as I've toured um, and done that full time and that's all we've had time to do, it's actually incredible that um, there there hasn't been more demand, but you definitely get those buyers that are like, you've already been here, you know, what else do you have going? And and um, and that's also how our live show developed to be such this big thing, because I was like, well, if I'm if I'm not giving music um, at this whatever constant demanding pace is going on now then I'm going to give you a show that makes you not even think about that. And um, that's also developed developed as a response. So in a way, it kind of worked out. <laughs> I love it. Very cool. Um, so, you know, in theory, the artist has, you know, their songs together, they're ripe, they're ready to record. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for chapter two, I remind people, you know, get your email list, text message club, social media accounts in place. I mean, I rarely meet a musician that doesn't have, you know, their Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and all that, but maybe it's a new project, right? Like, you know, yeah. new, new name, things like that. So, you know, what are, what are some things you do to, to connect with your fans? Um, definitely the social media platforms, um, have been the, the biggest push and, um, my fans are so good about just if you, I mean, you share anything and they just carry their own buzz with it. It's really amazing to just sit back and, and watch sometimes. But, um, what's, what's so cool is, is working on gaining fans that you also keep because there are the fans that might hear the one song and they're there for that whatever process that is, and then they might be gone. And thankfully I have, um, just way, way more fans that have been there since day one, basically. Um, and are excited about evolvement and ex excited about, um, new things and changes and new updates. 
Um, so one thing that I have done, um, is create a lot of personal contact too. So I'm pretty, I mean, I'm honestly, social media isn't really a, it's, it's, it's not that it's, not that it's strictly for, for the music, but in many ways, if I don't have, um, if there's not, um, if there's not other push, I'm not putting out a lot of personal life stuff. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, I really just want people to be informed about what's happening, but also, you know, that's going to tie in personally because your music is such yourself that it's hard to separate, but it gives them just enough to just enough for us to have some kind of form of communication. And it's also been really fun though, responding to personal messages and keeping a rapport with certain people. Um, and this is pre Patreon, you know what I mean? It's pre giving that little access for a subscription, um, which has been really fun of, uh, I mean, people messaging you when their kids have a birthday, when they get married and they use your song, one of your songs is their first dance song. Um, those have been the really cool things that like my email list and social media platforms, that's probably my favorite part about it is, um, those connections that the music has created and, um, how it's still, you know, we still have these little personal ties, but, um, watching the fans just run with it is, is really cool. (laughs) I love that. Amazing. Um, so moving on to every musician and human's favorite, uh, topic, business affairs. Um, you, you you know, you've already touched on this. If if you're open to it, um, you know, share some information on how you handle work for hires, how you handle songwriting splits. It sounds like you have it very together in, in that area. Um, you know, it's, I try, like I said, you know, so much of the, so much of what I've been doing has been so tour based, but while on the road or any downtime, I've been trying to just teach myself or read about or connect with other band leaders and um, other people in similar positions and, uh, meet, meeting someone, for instance, like, uh, Cam Franklin, who is a huge inspiration and, um, finally getting to connect with people like that, that are in uh, similar situations of this constant go, go, go kind of schedule, but also trying to, um, (laughs) keep whatever integrity there is in the music business (laughs) and, um, and, uh, just figuring out your way through, uh, when it comes down to the business part, so much of it has been trial and error. So I can't say I haven't, um, I don't really know what a failure is in the business because is that, do you, um, equate that for, to album sales? Do you equate that to social media number? You know what I mean? There's Mm -hmm. a lot of different ways that I think people measure that. And, um, I think a big part of it for me, and I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I've always remained in this constant shock that I get to do this. <laughs> so that's been such this underlying, like, I, I'm, I'm also proud of myself at the same time that I do keep that because it constantly reminds me of, um, just 
when you're doing the business side of it, which is the side no one wants to do, but it's like, wow, I've, I've made it this far that I have to make these like shitty, weird decisions um, and figure it out. Um, Now, as far as, as splits go in the studio, I mean, what I also really like to do, which isn't, uh, it's, it's my own, well, it's not that unique of a business plan or anything, but I love working with other passionate musicians. I love working with people that are, they're in there with you because they're interested in your projects, not because it's just another like quick check for a session. Um, now I think that definitely I, a little bit of the advantage is what I do is a particularly niche. So I'm not necessarily getting, it's, it's also that I'm not getting any producers on some level that are like, here, work with these guys to make you sound this much better. When I create an album, I typically want the people that I'm going to hit the road with to be on it because I want us to develop together. And when we create the songs in the studio, um, I love, I geek out on taking that out on the road and then just watching and listening and feeling how the songs breathe as we keep pushing along. You know what I mean? So when, from the moment you record the album to releasing it to like seven months into your tour, the way the songs live is just, I don't know. I love that part of being involved in this. So, um, yeah, that's been, uh, that's been one of the main things that I've kept along with my business model is really having an, an involved, uh, touring band. Um, with that being said, it's, it's a work for hire situation in the studio. And, um, I come in as prepared as possible with written songs and, arrangements that I that that I have in mind for the particular you know for that particular um tune but I give open opportunity for the band to let that breathe because I've got the drummer on there for a reason I've got the guitar players on there for a reason the bass players there for a reason um but it's again, I've been super lucky to work with people that, that are open to that, that they all have. And I'll ask them, you know, is, is this, is, is this an experience that works for you? And I've had a lot of musicians respond that say, you know, I've actually never really done anything like this before. Um, but they end up really loving it too. So it's worked to my advantage thus far. I mean, um, it's, I know some artists might bounce between recording an album with with um, a hired session, you know, hired session workers, and then they tour with um, their band or whatever. And it's not to say that um, that's something that can't happen. That just hasn't been my process so far, you know. So um, as far as being able to go in like that the the splits for songwriting I've, I've been the only I've been the primary songwriter so um that I actually haven't had to um handle any any splits of the songs um 
which is, I think, just something that it's not that it's something I pushed away. It just hasn't happened yet. I love that. That's great. Fantastic. Um, so, you know, chapter four is how to record with or without a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us what, you know, tell us about your recording. I mean, you've had a variety of them, but tell us about some of your recording situations. What What's worked? What hasn't? Um, I usually end up, um, um, the touring is what, you know, this is what I've been doing full time. So the touring is, is what eventually hopefully pays for the album. Um, I do take on all the costs myself. I have not had an opportunity yet to connect with, um, a label or investor or what have you, um, to place that money up front. So a lot of the process, I, and I can't say if that would work for everyone or not. I, I can't say that it's, um, it's, it's a, it works and it doesn't work for me. Um, but it's just the way that I've, I've done it. Um, I guess in many ways, I hate to call it a control thing cause I don't want it to sound like that, but I guess, I guess there is. I'm going to interrupt. There's nothing wrong with using that word. That's for sure. So I, I mean, I just, my main fear uh, throughout this entire process has been about being misunderstood and not so much in general as a musician, because I know we all work on that, but, um, or, or just as a musician, but it can be really tough in my position um, that the, the main challenge has been, especially people with money that have pursued um, have pursued working with me, have listened with their eyes. So that gave me kind of an in, that really that also directed a lot of why I've done recording the way I've done it. Now to say that it's a a smart process or not. Um, I'm not sure, but it's been a protective process. Um, and that's pretty much where I've put that the last few years is that it's, it's protection for myself. Um, when I first, first started right before I funded the first album, um, I was getting offer after offer, which I know for many would be this really exciting And it was exciting. I I can't say it wasn't exciting at all, but, you know, it, there's no way for me to separate being, uh, especially a black woman in rock and roll, trying to make sure that a, a label producer doesn't come in and say, I've got this money for you. Uh, your vibe is very Erica Badu, Neo Soul. You know, and clearly they haven't listened to the music is my point. Um, right. And that was a lot of the approach when I first started. So honestly, I ended up putting the shield up against a lot of that because um, as exciting as it was, I realized that it that was possibly going to be a challenge that I was going to be working with for a while. And, and it did, and it did continue. Um, and that's what gave me, honestly, the motivation to do as much of it by myself and be in control of as much of it on my own, um, because I just didn't want to be misunderstood in that way and misinterpreted and have my songs thrown out because 
it wasn't the uh, whoever was giving me money. It wasn't their um, vision. Um, it wasn't their plan. It wasn't their image for me. Uh, so, you know, the, as far as budgeting, that motivation for me has been enough to go broke, (laughs) trying to just, uh, personally keep my own, keep my own sanity, keep my own integrity over things. Um, what I have done instead is, uh, upfront pay for the recordings, Um, and the budget has always been really tight, but I will say that studios have been, the studios that I've been able to work with have all been, um, in this very, um, in an affordable range. Uh, it definitely does make me only choose certain studios, um, mind you, but it, it hasn't to me affected the sound or the vibe or anything of the records I've released. But I also, um, the, the thing I've done recently is after the albums have been done and released is then license them to distributors or record labels, um, especially overseas. Uh, that's been a big process because a lot of my fan base is in Europe and Australia Um, so it's been a lot of help to, after I've seen the response of an album and after they've seen the response to an album to then say, Hey, would you help me release vinyl? Because, you know, especially in these kind of niche, in these niche scenes, you know, vinyl is so expensive and that's what, that really is what can that's what's knocked my budget over as an independent artist, um, trying to sort of satisfy this niche, you know, this, this niche, um, desire for things like vinyl. I, um, found that I wished in the beginning that I'd been more open to doing that kind of process, uh, waiting on releasing that and then getting a little bit of assistance. So then I still own my masters. I still, you know, have control of the situation, but I'm able to receive this help on, um, on that side of things where it's helped a lot with distribution. And especially now, I mean, I'm glad I was able to do that before this year with the insanity of USPS right now. (laughs) Um, mail order has been really, really crazy. And so I'm really glad to have that connection overseas where, I have a trustworthy um, small label that um, also people that have come to the shows, people that I've met personally, which also meant a lot to me that um, I I know and can trust them to uh, help me out with PR and uh, releases overseas. And the cool thing about being independent in that sense is that uh, the time limit is the, the timing is a little less pressure. Um, like I just recently released vinyl of an album I released four years ago. Um, and it didn't affect anything, which is kind of amazing. I I mean, I'm not saying that would work for everybody, but it's really cool to see the excitement of people that are just like, wow, there's vinyl of this album. I've been waiting for it. And there was no anger or animosity or any, you know, things that sometimes I think we, you know, we're so pressured for time that you don't think sometimes like, 
that people, there are as much as there's people that want to push you to do more and more and more. There's people that are just happy that you're out there and, and still trying to, um, to keep it going. So that's been really cool. I can't say it's a great plan, but it's worked for me. I think it's a great plan. And everything you just said is incredibly inspiring and empowering. And it sounds like you know this, but I meet way too many people who don't know this. I mean, if, if, you know, if you were doing this in 1995, kind of pre-digital era, you wouldn't have had those options. And, you know, first you would have to be signed to a label, which means not everybody gets the opportunity to record and distribute. So that's like a huge barrier in and of itself. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying this, like, I'm sure you, you would have been signed. And, but then this is what I'm really getting at. The label has approval over what you release. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That is so fucked up. And so the fact that like people don't, understand that or are you know embrace the freedom and control they can have now just blows my mind so I think you're doing everything right I appreciate that yes it's a trip because um you know the one thing that I I will say I'm super proud of of myself is just not getting caught up in the bullshit of just someone someone's approaching me I need to just go with it because I see that unfortunately happen a lot Um, because you just feel pressured and I never blame it on anyone, but sometimes you see someone and, um, an indie band sign and you're just like, oh man, I wish I could, I wish I could just, I don't know, hug them and say, you really don't have to do that. You know what I mean? But I get it. It's, it's, it's hard. There's, um, you're just swallowed up in the whole thing. You're seeing tons of other people maybe get things that you want or things that you think you, you know, if I only had this, I could get here. If I only had that, I could get to this step. And I don't know. I, um, I, I, I don't know if it was my upbringing. I don't know if it was my, again, the, the, the pressure from people to, to change what I was trying to do, but just that, uh, I think what's helped more than anything was just not getting caught up. Um, I am not really big into people making base promises <laughs> or people mm-hmm. telling me that this is what's going to happen when I can't see it. So the, the label, all the stars and the eyes of the label thing just never really hit me because all it seemed to me was, okay, so someone owns my shit. And then when it doesn't work out, they don't care. And then I'm stuck back at square one so I personally would would rather fail on my own and be stuck at square one on my own with no one on my back asking what's the problem. Um, right. And I've just always been that way. And now I'm super happy I'm that way <laughs> because I think it's helped a lot, helped a lot. Um, just in the learning process. Uh, I, I, um, again, like I said, it's, it's protection. I want to know every end of the business so that when I do step in the studio, I can, Every, every single person is in there for a reason. Um, I know from step one to the release, who has their hands on what, what's happening. Uh, it, it's really difficult financially and it's really stressful. But at the end of the day, I, I can sleep at night just knowing that, like you said, I, I released the music I wanted to. Someone didn't just go down the list and say, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. You know what I mean? Yep. 
Exactly. So, um, chapter five is music publishing isn't scary or confusing, um, plus how to land a stink placement. Um, do you mind sharing how you collect on your music publishing? Um, how I collect, I, um, I am signed to, uh, PRO. Um, every time I am about to do an album release, I, I almost match up with your checklist of, you know, signing up immediately for sound exchange, immediately register, registering the tunes, um, to my PRO. Um, what else? Uh, I should have read the book before again, That's okay. <laughs> I should have gone through this chapter, but, um, yeah, the, I, I, try to immediately do those things as I create the songs and as I know I'm recording them, um, just to have them down, to claim them, to get them prepared for being able to collect. Um, and I, uh, also signed up for either CD baby or tune core as I kind of watched, especially from the beginning, I didn't know what kind of fan response there would be. So CD Baby was this, um, was clearly like a, it, it kind of just has everything right there for the person that doesn't quite know, um, where, where their music is going to go or what your sales are going to be like. But I do like being able to analyze that. And then, uh, switching over is definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done, (laughs) But I found it really beneficial to be able to watch those numbers first and then just learn from that for future music releases. Um, So, yeah, I just try to sign up for everything that I know is available to collect, collect for me, because that way I'm not missing out on any money. You know what I mean? Definitely. So I love registering the songs with your PRO right away. That's great. We all know, like that's super important, but like stuff like that can just get back burnered. And then it really can, it really can. You have to to put it on the to-do list. And, um, but I, uh, I, that was one of the things I found just through the re through research was, um, a top thing was just make sure as soon as you, almost as soon as you write it, I've, I've seen like, just go ahead and copyright it, go ahead and register it. Um, so I've tried to follow that, uh, pretty religiously and it definitely does benefit because suddenly, especially, uh, being independent, I mean, if you hand out a few songs for radio play and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this is really getting radio play, you know, and you can really get caught behind, um, and miss out on a lot of streams and a lot of play in that way. So that, um, definitely pushed me along to do that, but it's, um, I just love, uh, I hope it's okay to plug, to plug you again on please. your own podcast. Oh, but... I, I thought you were going to, sorry, I thought you were going to plug yourself when no, I said please. No, I, I, but I just love that you laid it all out in a way that just, it made everything so comprehensive because all those steps are out there, but they're in a million articles. It's like, you have to switch between so many different platforms to read about what you just condensed into this checklist. Um, And so it was really cool going back and reading your book and reading that chapter and going like, Oh, okay. I did that. I did that. Oh, I kind of missed, 
I kind of messed up that step, but now I know, you know, it was just really cool to do that. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, that's probably been the top thing as far as just registering the songs immediately. Uh, sound exchange, um, has been a journey. That's kind of a interesting platform to figure out. Um, but also just really educating yourself on the, um, on the differences between P like what, what does your PRO collect? What does sound exchange collect? You know, just knowing the differences too, because I really didn't know what a mechanical royalty was. I mean, what, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what any of that meant in the beginning. So, um, and it's a constant study too, but I always recommend that to people of like, make sure you understand the splits, make sure you understand um, what it means when you get a radio play versus when you get a Spotify stream versus, um, you know, a song on TV or movies or something like that. Yeah. And I do think this stuff was set up to be confusing decades ago before we were born. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I would also, I would also remind people like, also don't feel like you have to get a hundred percent on the test. Like you can reference any of these articles, my book, Don Passman's book, whatever. Mm -hmm. Cause like you said, this information is out there, but let's, yeah. let's break that down a little bit further. Um, Cause you, you know, you just made some really great points, like knowing the difference between these things. So again, performing rights organization, um, that's going to be any public performance of your songwriting, you know, whether it's getting played in a shop or a restaurant or a cafe on the radio, like you said, uh -huh. Um, any sort of public performance for the song. And then um, let's see what else you, you touched on a uh, sound exchange. That's going to be um, your income actually on the master recording side for um, what's called non-interactive internet radio. So basically mm -hmm. Pandora and Sirius where you can't just like pick that you're, you can, you can choose you're listening to the uh, on Pandora, the Nikki Hill station, but you can't select, you know, which song like on Spotify and, right. and things like that. Um, I think you might've said one more thing. I'm a little spacey today, but here, here's what I do want to say. Um, are, do you remember if you opted in to collect, to, to have TuneCore or CD Baby administer your uh, music publishing? It's okay if you don't remember that or not. Yes. At first I, at first I did. And then it, it's interesting. That was probably the best thing that I learned from, um, reading your book in particular was, um, about opting into that because, uh, going back and, and reading through that chapter you wrote about, uh, deciding whether to do that or not really opened my eyes on like, wow, if I'm, if I'm giving them handing this, you, that basically that you just don't have to hand that over, <laughs> I guess. Right. Um, yeah. And I, that was a part that I didn't really, uh, that I realized I didn't really understand what it meant to check that box. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, that would pro I would say that would probably be my biggest change in the future. Um, is not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and also, um, you touched on when you touched on, uh, talking about like, uh, the, the royalties you get for live performance, I'd said that was between, uh, reading about, uh, you know, checking off, allowing the collection. The other part that, um, that I definitely learned the most was, 
those those live performance royalties because I realized if I didn't immediately register the songs, but if I went overseas and started uh, performing any songs that even if I hadn't released them yet, they were they were making a record of my set list. And then, you know, a few months later, after you've done a month long tour in Europe, suddenly you get this check that's royalties for all those live performances that you played in Europe and every single song. And, um, that was probably the biggest mind blowing, um, discovery because I'd say in that first, that first year when I probably played 250 plus dates with like half of those being overseas or something, um, I missed out on a lot, but thankfully I did the work to regain as many royalties as I could, like going back and registering and being like, wait, wait, wait. Um, and I had, I was in the time window that still allowed me to be able to collect, but it, but it, that was the biggest lesson learned was, okay, do this right away and understand, you know, who collects that for you and what that means. Because honestly, my live live performance, um, royalties have been the, the, the biggest stream of income for a long time. Um, and then the, the other, the other royalties started to, to pick up as well, but that was probably the biggest, the biggest lesson that really keyed me into wanting to understand what, what it all meant when you got these checks and you got the statement that, um, you know, listed everything. And you know, it's, it's important, I think, for every artist to review that instead of just like taking the check and depositing it, um, you know, read it over. And especially if you're your own boss, you have to understand where every stream of income is coming from. Exactly. I totally agree. Um, and just to break that down a little bit further. So, you know, what I talk about in the book and what we're talking about is um, TuneCore or CD Baby will offer to administer your publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this. And also like they make the box, I haven't checked it out in a while, but they make it like very attractive. It's like, want to make more money? Check oh, this. Ab- absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you not click on it? it, it is how it exactly. works. You know what I mean? It, it definitely yeah. does that. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing bad or wrong, you know, with doing that. And frankly, everybody does it, um, for the reasons we just said. Um, But I really like song trust for music publishing. And and again, just to break that down further, because music publishing is always, in my experience of working on this book and podcast, it's, and and just talking to artists, it's the number, music publishing is the number one missing revenue stream. And I feel that is because when you sign up for your PRO, they encourage you, you know, to be Nikki Hill, you know, as an individual songwriter, and then of course, create a publishing designee. And so understandably, when you ask a songwriter, um, you know, who collects on, you know, how do you collect on your publishing? They're like, oh, ASCAP does it or BMI does it. And if your songs are getting, you know, covered, streamed, like, you know, there's a variety of additional revenue streams that you're missing. And I I have nothing to gain from this, even if they do end up sponsoring this podcast, which I haven't talked to them about yet. Right um, I, I, I do love song trust because yeah. I feel that they have democratized music publishing in the way that CD Baby, DistroKid, TuneCore, 
you know, has done, like we were talking about, like back in the day, you would have to, you know, in the pre-digital era, you would have to, you know, sign your rights away to a label just for really for anyone to be able to afford recording. And then they held the keys to distribution. And now anybody can do that. Not anybody, but obviously you need a laptop internet, yeah. um, but then for 50 bucks or whatever, um, you know, you can distribute worldwide. I feel like Song Trust, which is owned by Downtown Music, and just, you know, for the ex, you know, for anyone who's also, also wants to point out, um, CD Baby also owns Song Trust. So yes, I am aware it is the same software. Um, but hopefully I'm making sense because I'm jumping around a little bit. If no, you absolutely. Have- if you have your distributor administer your publishing every time you release something, if you work with different distributors and aggregators, then your music publishing is all over the place. So that's why I really like, you know, having it all housed in one place with Song Trust. Like I said, it was founded by the principles of downtown music publishing. They have some of the best collection systems in the world. You can get out of the Song Trust deal uh, very quickly. They don't own any rights. Now they also don't do sync pitching, which is important to say, but, um, yeah, if you are just signed up for your, you know, PRO, your ASCAP, ASCAP or BMI, um, please go sign up for Song Trust. Or uh, honestly, when I find another one that I like as much, I will uh, evangelize it uh, equally. But um, yeah, so so just a reminder for for everyone out there. Yeah, definitely. I, I, that was um, that was definitely the biggest learning point. Um, was I I did not know or understand um, song trust. And, um, that definitely opened my eyes to, uh, just the decision of clicking that, (laughs) clicking that attractive box or not. So, um, thank you so much for elaborating on that because it, it, it really is a, like you said, it was built to be confusing and, um, it, it definitely brought a lot of clarity to, uh, the, the confusion, like you said, that it creates when you're working with different aggregators and also the confusion that comes in, um, I think, when I talk to a lot of people who they, you know, they think they can sign up for BMI and sign up for ASCAP and sign up, right. you know, do these different things and, and trying to learn all of that because all of a sudden you start getting these emails where the people are like, who am I sending this money to? You know, and then that makes you not get your money. Um, yep. So it's, uh, and then you're digging yourself out of that hole for a while while you're still waiting to collect money. <laughs> so it, those are definitely uh, really, really, really good points for, um, I mean, any artist to understand, but, you know, especially for independent ones that are, you know, trying to do it themselves, it is really possible, which is like, that's what I loved about the book is it, it just, it may, it makes, it reminds you that it is all possible because I, as much as things are very different now and everyone can do it on their own, there's still that kind of, there's still that industry push that, that they make you think you can't. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I have a subsection in this chapter about not signing up for multiple PROs. And my attorney was kind of like, you can't do that. Or like, you know, I'm like, but but I'm so glad you brought that up, Nikki, because I feel like I see artists doing that all the time. Like I have a new band name or group name. So I, I mean, she's yeah. probably right. I'm sure it will bounce you out of the system if you're already with ASCAP and then you eventually put in your full Name to it's BMI it's or good to put that but... into words, though. It's really good to put it into words because it's also a part of the understanding 
of why you don't do it. You know what I mean? It's not just to say, don't do that. You need to know why. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, have you had the opportunity to land any sync placements? Um, I have, I've done one overseas, uh, but that's, but that's been it. I haven't had, um, I haven't had a lot of experience with that. And that is, that is a bit too much. That's to my lack of understanding of that side. That was something I never, I never, uh, researched. And one thing that I've learned, uh, one thing that I've picked up that is, that I can't wait to use on the next recording is the recommendation to record, um, record the songs, record the arrangements without the vocals, because mm. I've realized I've lost opportunities of, um, where people really love the arrangement, but I didn't have a track without the vocal. Um, right. and that's, uh, that's something I'm really looking forward to, uh, changing with, with, uh, the next recording, but, um, yeah, I've landed one, one like major sync placement. Um, and, but I actually have not signed, I haven't even signed up to be honest for, you know, that's another attractive box on CD baby where they're like, we can do this for you. But something about the, the placement one really, I, I took a step back that that's one that I was like, I don't know if I want to check a, check a box for that. There's a lot right. involved with sync placement. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And what you say about instrumentals is is so key. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we can just think about it just as regular humans and not just music people. If you look at film, TV, what, you know, commercials, like there's tons of instrumental music. So yes, you're, yeah. uh, that would definitely greatly in- increase your and anyone's uh, chances of landing syncs when you do that. So I, I'm excited for you. That's great. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Um, so it sounds like you've been licensing your releases, uh, which we hear a lot of on this podcast. So mm-hmm. chapter six is setting up your release and distribution plan. How have you been releasing music? Um, well, I have, um, I've been creating physical product. Um, once I realized that I could sell it, which was, um, which was definitely a learning point. Um, in the beginning I hadn't, you, you don't know how many albums to, you don't know how many albums you need to, um, create as, you know, how many units you need to create of a CD or vinyl or whatever. And so that was definitely a learning experience of, um, and that's as you start to learn your fan base and as your fan base hopefully grows. Um, so I was, a lot of my release, releases are just directly connected to how much touring that I know I'm going to be doing. Um, and that way it helps me keep my budget under control too. Um, I think sometimes artists are super encouraged to just like make a thousand, make 2000, make 5,000 CDs just because you've released this. And then you have boxes of merch, you know what I mean? Leftover. Um, so I, I uh, definitely do well with physical product because of touring. Um, if and then the streaming follow up, um, I definitely immediately also lately have been the, the first album. I actually didn't put it. I didn't. Um, I didn't put it on streaming platforms, and um, it was a bit of a lack. 
a little bit of lack of knowledge and a little bit of a test of um, how will this album do with literally just physical release, um, only selling it on tour and only um, giving basically giving fans access to it. And I have to say it worked really well. <laughs> so cool. it's um, it's kind of interesting. Um, giving that some more thought. I don't know where I'm going to take that, so I won't elaborate on that too much. But um, the the basic thing is creating enough physical product to take on tour. Um, And thankfully with CDs, they're pretty easy to make really quickly. Uh, I ended up connecting with a... uh, Can I plug other companies and stuff like that? Please, please. Yeah, totally. So I've been mainly working with... um, a a small company in Minneapolis um, that they've been the ones that have primarily uh, they're called copycats and they are the ones that have um, uh, you know done all my CD duplication uh, replication sorry I might be messing that word up um, no and then they actually in the process of working with them, they started a, um, they started uh, producing vinyl as well for their artists, uh, for artists that, that reached out. And uh, they've just been a really great team. They're the kind of people that respond in five minutes. You can order small amounts, large amounts. They'll ship wherever you need them to ship, um, to, to ship items. They'll do rush processing. It, it's just been cool to stick with them in the meantime as an independent artist because I can rely on them. And, um, and also, I, when I was based in the Midwest, it was, it was just really cool because I knew that my albums would get wherever in two days within that realm. So, um, a a lot of it was proximity and a lot of it was, uh, just the, the production time was really quick and they're just really great people. Um, I know also now that they do, I think they've started to, um, what do you call it when someone houses, when they like house your merch and then they like ship it for you, like fulfillment, fulfillment center. Fulfillment, yeah. Yeah. So they also have started doing that. I haven't taken advantage of a lot of these, the extra things they're adding on, but it's been really cool watching them grow as a business as well is what I'm getting to. Um, but I've, uh, yeah, that's, that's been the main thing is, um, just producing enough vinyl for tour, vinyl and CDs for tour. Uh, vinyl is definitely secondary to if uh i wait on vinyl i have to see how well the cds are selling and how many people are asking and now it's nice that you can even do small batch vinyl for a while that wasn't possible um and so it it wasn't really an option financially um but uh yeah that's been the that's been my main my main source uh and then I've been, except for the first album, um, the release day, I've also released to all the open streaming platforms as well. Amazing. Very cool. Um, so what does the word marketing mean to you, if anything? Hmm. Um, marketing is, I mean, 
I just call it getting the word out. It's um, yeah, letting your fans, letting your fans know, and letting the uh, letting the discovery people know too. Um, it's funny that I don't know. Sometimes you see it as a positive, and sometimes you wonder like. What, what is the underlying reason for it? But I've been called a discovery artist since I started touring full time, like right. seven years ago. And I don't know what that means. It, it either means like, it's either a good thing because it keeps it exciting or it's either like, is the marketing not working because people are still, you know, yeah. people are still calling it discovery. Um, but I think that happens a lot, especially for, you know, if you're independent and if, if it's more of a niche type of a niche type of uh, market, then uh, I think that can often happen because, uh, you know, people are it, it, it can sometimes take a minute to um, to get that to, to grab the people that are also listening to I guess similar music or of a of a similar vibe um it also makes me think in many ways uh which is really cool but on a it's it's really cool but it can also be really frustrating that sometimes what I do it it's like people don't want to say that it sounds like another artist um and as a musician, I think that's incredibly complimentary. Um, totally. You're creating a sound, you're creating your own vibe, but it can also be frustrating because uh, I think that's where the discovery artist thing keeps flipping over because um, they don't necessarily say, oh, they, if you like this artist, you'll really like this artist. Um, and I get a little bit of that from time to time, but uh, it, it often gets placed into its own category where, you know, how much. Don't the the only negative side to marketing is sometimes thinking of that idea of boxing things, and um, that can be that can be a little bit tough um, as be, because of my desire to kind of blend genres and then also just create something that is just as much myself as I can make it, you know. Definitely. And you mentioned you've had some radio success. How did that come about? Um, the radio success, um, was particularly great on my second album, Heavy Hearts, Hard Fists. Um, I did actually, on that one, I actually hired, uh, like a, a radio promoter. Um, and I will say that helped a lot, you know, it, and, and it was just a, a process of sending, hundreds of CDs out to people, <laughs> um, which I don't know if you, I, I'd love to hear input um, sometime from, I'd love to hear input sometime about the, ben, you know, the benefits of, of hiring a person to do that versus doing it yourself. Now, I know sometimes when artists do things like that themselves, there's many people that many radio stations that might not even, they don't want to, uh, not that they don't want to receive it, but I guess that's just, they, they, the preferred way is to receive the songs from a known promoter um, that, that delivers it to them versus the artist just sending out songs. Um, but I think it definitely helped out a lot uh, 
I was able to also at the time while being on tour, do a lot of live, um, live radio performances. And, uh-huh. um, so that was a huge benefit. And I definitely recommend that to any artist if you're able on tour to get on the radio, um, in the town that you're playing that evening. Um, that really, really, really helped me out a lot at the time. I can't necessarily elaborate on the process to it um, because a lot of it just lined up, but it's definitely a lot of work, a lot of research, um, you know, trying to trying to find your press lists and stuff like that. And all I can recommend is asking the venue where you're going to be performing. Um, most of the time they'll provide you a press list of, um, you know, all the local, local radio, local, um, you know, publications, local internet blogs and stuff like that. And, um, if they send that to you, take advantage of it. Exactly. Um, do you remember if you were working with like a AAA radio promoter or what kind of person, or if you can, if you're open to sharing the name or the company? Yeah, it was, it it, it was a triple A. I can, I don't want to mess up the name. So (laughs) that's why I was, I was trying to think of it and I was like, Oh, I, I feel bad. I I can't, I can't remember his full name. Um, It's okay. I, I definitely yeah. talk in the book about AAA being the most effective if, if you can get there. Yeah. Absolutely. So I wasn't totally surprised when you said that, but um, yeah, so that's awesome. I'm, I'm, it, it was, it really warms my heart to hear you say that you had such a positive experience because there are so many artists that have done those mailers and hired people and it just hasn't happened. So um, that's great. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, no, it was, it was really, really cool. Um, I mean, part of it and some of the campaigning was definitely like an, was was definitely in-house campaigning. It was like a lot of researching and sourcing and creating a list and then, but then also having that assistance and, and the combination. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I felt really, really, uh, happy with the results because like you said, that does not, it, 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 I mean, Unfortunately, everything is kind of an upfront risk, especially if you're budgeting it on your own. And that's, I, I hate having to tell people that it's not that it, it's not that it's a, a cop out or anything, but it's really just the truth. You know, it's all, all upfront. You have, you know, all I can ever recommend to people is just to evaluate if you can, um, in whatever way you can evaluate or analyze your fan base and, and try to match up to, where you think they listen, um, or where you think people that haven't heard of you would be open to listening, you know, but it's it's just a lot of research and staying up to date on, on different things like that. And, um, but having the sources up front is definitely the hardest part. So, um, if, if you have it in your budget to hire someone that can at least get you started, that's a really beautiful thing. Definitely. And I have a breakdown um, of the different radio formats in the U.S. and um, mm-hmm. kind of what's effective for radio promotion and, and what isn't. And, you know, it's interesting. You talked about how, like, because I'm obviously all about doing it, one, doing any, doing everything oneself whenever possible. But I, I've never really thought about this. I'm guessing most radio stations or at least music directors um, can't always accept unsolicited material. Like if there's a yeah. sample on it that's not cleared and um, so there's a difference between that and like building yourself up locally, right? And some DJs know about you and they know your songs and they know you're writing it. And 
and recording yeah. it. Um, but when you land those spins, you know, whether it's college, AAA, whatever, you know, this is for everyone. Just, you know, tag those radio stations, tag those DJs. You know, that's just going to help. Um, it's going to help a lot of things. It helps your social engagement, but it shows them that you care. Hopefully it'll yeah. help you know, them remember you. They'll, they'll play you more. Um, yeah, that, that was probably the time that I, that was the time where I definitely started upping the, um, you know, I was, I was utilizing social media, but uh, like I said, a lot of social media has been on this sort of, uh, it's just like music fan to music fan level where I'm, um, I, it, you know, it's been very like direct and, and personal. And that was definitely a learning process for me of, um, understanding tagging and hashtagging and, um, uh-huh. how to use that to your benefit and, uh, how that does help gain a bigger audience. So that was a big help. And, and at that time, um, I remember it being really funny how in the, in your book, you mentioned, um, having like a, a, a manager that's kind of like, uh, or it, it's either like a person helping you with touring slash this slash that. And that was the e- exact experience that, um, that, I mean, it, it was just really funny reading it. Cause I was like, wow, that is, it, it just explained exactly the way that I had, um, kind of approached that as well was, was finding, uh, a, a tr- one trustworthy person because, um, and, and this kind of goes off topic a bit, uh, but finding that barrier, I, it, it was pretty quickly into touring, um, especially heavy touring that I realized I did need a barrier. I needed a person that I could trust to speak up, um, when say mm-hmm. I'm on, I'm on a plane flying from one place to the next and I can't respond or you're just, you're just working with people that, uh, you, you know, it, they just have a different kind of attitude or a miscommunication or, I mean, unfortunately, as, as many positive things surround all this, there's a lot of people out there that are not there, you know, you might be working with them, but they're not really there for you or your benefit or, you know what I mean? Um, so I have been lucky to have that person that has, uh, been there to, stand in in just uh in really kind of on-call situations where it's like hey here's my tour coming up um you know and they're able uh you know I'm taking care of all the logistics the flights the hotels the uh traveling arrangements and things like that but it's beautiful to have a person that communicates uh either with the the venue owner or the promoter and, um, can help me pick up those, those places that might drop off while I'm in the middle of dealing with the logistics, which do take up a lot of time. Um, and someone that could help me compile a radio list, someone that has more experience in the business and, um, has access to sources that I don't have. Um, now that's not, possible for a lot of people, which I, which I definitely understand. And I also got very lucky, um, in the situation of finding someone, um, open to doing that, um, on a small indie musicians budget (laughs) that I can offer. But, um, that, that also, I know that goes off a little bit, but, uh, that, was definitely a big benefit in finding some of those sources, especially when it came to radio and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes you definitely 
need a little bit of help. Um, and I think as long as you, as long as you find that that's something trustworthy, um, and if it's something that you can fit into your budget and sometimes it can only work for certain albums or certain tour stretches, but I always encourage people to just make it work in the moment. You know, you never know, um, it might not work at, at this one time, but it, it, that doesn't mean to, to just dismiss it entirely. You know what I mean? Yes. And we will come back around to that. that that's a good teaser. I have, I have a few more questions cool. for you. Cool. Um, so you are obviously pre-pandemic times, and I know you will be post-pandemic times, uh, a, a road warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about how you started touring and, and also how that turned into international touring. Um, yeah, that, that ended up being, oh man, when, when I talk about the whirlwind, that is the, the primary thing I'm talking about. Um, a lot of what worked out for me was, um, location and, um, when, um, when my partner and I got married, we moved to, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and the idea at the time, I, uh, actually have a, I have a degree in exercise physiology. So I was, uh, doing a career-based job with that. And my husband who plays guitar was, um, trying to find a better touring base. And, uh, we thought, well, the middle of the country sounded like a good idea. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Mark. It's like, sure, mm-hmm. why, why not? And um, not to say, I mean, it, now this was also another move to try to lower our cost of living and stuff like that. And so we discovered these this really affordable area, which was incredible because we were working on this very penny-pinching, young, married couple budget. Um, and then... Like I was saying earlier, um, I started kind of revealing some of this writing and stuff that I was doing, and um, we just took advantage of it, and we were like, well, let's work as a team and make this work while you're going on tour, and then I'm going to work. I had three jobs at the time, and, um, and you know, we were just having a really good time with it, and then um, when I was putting together my own shows locally— uh, you know, the idea opened up that, well, wow, if I'm in St. Louis, why can't I go to Chicago? That's just a few hours away. Why can't, you know, why can't I go to Memphis? Why can't I do these different things? And so, um, I did have this amazing, uh, the, the supporters that showed up in the beginning I mean, it's, it's really amazing to think, think back on and, and many of them happen to be promoters, happen to be, um, writers for, um, big publications like the Chicago Tribune or, you know what I mean? A lot of people in St. Louis came to the shows that worked with KDHX and different radio stations. So I had this immediate kind of, um, base for marketing, which not to say that I didn't know what to do. I I did not know what to do with it at the time, but what was cool was I was able to ask for guidance from a few people and, um, that really helped a lot. And, um, one of the primary, one of the, um, 
primary people um, was working at this place called City Winery. I know there's multiple multiple city wineries, I think, across the country or in in a lot of the major in a lot of the like uh, major cities. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this woman named Colleen Miller, who uh, now runs a really cool club in Cleveland, uh, but she was working in um, Chicago at the time at City Winery. And she um, she gave me just these really cool opportunities to um, get these opening gigs for um, uh, artists like Eileen Jewell uh, and stuff like that in Chicago. So that instantly opened me up to new fan bases. Um, I was also working with this kind of entertainment company in St. Louis. So I ended up opening up for Nelly, <laughs> which was really, really <laughs> random. Yeah. But just these cool opportunities came up. And uh, I guess what I'm getting to is that each, each little thing built up into, into the big thing. Um, yeah. The more I got those opportunities the more it gave just enough exposure for um, other promoters to, to see and say, Hey, I'd love to ha- have you at my club. And um, so what ended up happening was I'd say by the end of 2012, I had, I started doing these little outreach uh, just a few hours away, traveling to do these shows. And um, the next thing you know, uh, it was interpreted as that was what I did. That was the, I I was a touring artist, even though in my mind, I was just doing these kind of quick, I was just going home after the gig. Um, Mm -hmm. and so pretty soon after that, I started getting a couple festival offers and, um, the festival offers are what turned into, uh, making it like a, a, a more serious thing. And, um, I started agreeing to a couple of things and then agreeing to a couple more things. And then suddenly that festival that I was going to play turned into a, a one week tour, a two week tour surrounding it. And then, um, the very first time I went to Europe was, March of 2013. So we're talking about like this really short span of time that, um, that, that happened. And by the time I got home from that, from those shows in March, which were just incredible because, and incredible in a lot of ways, but, um, we're talking like a carry on suitcase, (laughs) one guitar, meeting up with a, another band over there, you know, learning the songs in one day together and then going on the road uh, and, uh, uh, you know, stuff that now I look back and I'm like, I can't believe we did that. You know what I mean? But you're, but it's, it's what made everything work. But by the time I got back home from that tour, um, uh, I basically started working with a booking agency in the States that wanted to support and and had a lot of ideas for some other shows I could play in the States. And then in the same time, this is when I, this is when I started gaining a friendship, which turned into a business partnership um, with uh, a man named Harry Turner that then helped me develop 
um, especially the tour dates overseas. And again, being that barrier that I realized that I needed so that, um, cause quickly people start to kind of take advantage of the time of the money of, you know, things like that, that I definitely didn't have a lot of, um, education in. And, um, I mean, it took off all of a sudden I had over a hundred more dates booked by the time I got home and it, it never stopped. That's incredible. What What do you mean by um, you felt like people were taking advantage of money, though? Are you able to be specific there? Yeah, just, just in the fact that, um, especially when I first started going overseas, a lot of it was, you know, we can afford to bring you over and we can pay you this much if you work with this band that I've put together for you. And the band leader is this person in the band that's going to, you know, be in charge of, all, of everything. And, and essentially it was, it just, it would not be enough to justify like the time spent over there, not knowing any logistics ahead of time, which like, admittedly, I'm just really not cool with that. I like to know everything as much upfront as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really don't necessarily like when other people even do, do stuff like book flights for me and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. suddenly you're on like seven flights to get overseas and like, yep. you know, just really weird shit that, that, um, I think people just are like, Oh, you're, well, you're a musician. You're, you're, you know what it's like to be on the road. You, I know you can handle it. And it's like, well, sure I can handle it, but does that, does that make it right? Does that make it fair? Um, and especially when you're working within kind of a, a, a niche scene, I was playing a lot of like, you know, specifically like a rock and roll festivals and, and, and blues festivals and stuff like that, where, um, you know, when you're, when you're new, they're basically gonna, they're gonna, be really forward about you being new and like, this is all we can accommodate for you. And I was like, well, that's really cool. But I also had the confidence of knowing that what I did was going to add to their festival was going to add to this, you know, this tour they were trying to put together. And so it was really important for me up front. And thankfully with the encouragement of Harry that, that was helping me out to say, you know, put your foot down now so that down the road we can, keep that we can keep that level of this is what we this is this is the way we work and um it, it you know that like I said there's a lot of people out there that just because they're in the business they aren't your friend you know what I mean so it was really important to have that encouragement to just to stick to a certain level of what you were going to deal with from the beginning. Um, not to say that you know you don't bend and compromise and, and then and shit happens I mean, wow, this this stuff happened. But, um, that was really important to be, uh, confident about what, what I had to offer. And, um, by doing that, what was really great was I was able to, um, in that same year, when I first started touring, I was actually able to bring my band over from the States to Europe in particular. And that was like, Um, I don't know if other artists ever mentioned that, but that's just, that was a huge, um, step, uh, was 
being able to just not, especially when you're a singer and when you're a female singer, you know, people feel like it's just like you and a suitcase and a microphone. And for me, it was always about the sound. It was like I mentioned earlier, it was about the sound that I created with these people that I, that, you know, I, um, express these songs to. And I, I, that was what I wanted to always share with the audience, not just me in front of these other guys, you know, and just to, to be over there playing. So it was really important to establish that. And it, I do have to say, despite the fights and maybe whatever I might've lost in the beginning, it, it did nothing but benefit me to be that way. Um, um, starting out as soon as I could. Well, and again, just a reminder for industry people and aspiring industry people, like just don't do anything without approval, you know, like don't go book. Yeah. Don't go book a flight or do a promo poster for a show or whatever. Approval, approval, approval by the artist. Absolutely. And that's definitely something that I think it's, it's good to note that you will always fight with it. I've uh, just discussing with people. I, I think it happens from the, from, um, you know, the, the, from the smallest bands to the biggest bands, there is just always, um, there's always stuff you're kind of fighting with. And, and especially when it comes to approval, I've definitely had moments of posters being released without approval of Uh um, logistics being planned without any kind of, um, opinion or option to, um, to adjust and stuff like that. And all it does is really just create this backlog and create issues. And, um, so you do get to a point where, I mean, that's been a lot of my encouragement too, to just remain independent because it's like, uh, you know, sometimes you look out for your own best interests and until you find your people, it's important to just, um, stick to that if you can. Um, and if you find your people, you know, take care of them and work with them in whatever capacity, if if it's for specific projects or tours. But, uh, I just always like to remind people that you can really make it work however you want. There is no, um, like your, the checklist and your book are amazing. Um, but especially when it comes to touring and stuff like that, there, there does not have to be a template. Um, right. You can make things work, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that that used I used to tour manage and that used to be my motto. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's not always a right or wrong answer. You just need to make a decision and go with it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's happened. And, and, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Um, And there's definitely times where you you play you go on this tour and then it helps. It helps you budget for an upcoming tour that you really might not know, um, you know, especially with new cities. I mean, you really are kind of going in a bit, uh, a bit cold on what the response is going to be like, you know what I mean? Um, and that's always been interesting for you, you know, I, I, it's great to have your, um, to your bases where, you know, if I go to this city, I'm going to sell this play, you know, I, this is going to be a sellout show. Um, and that helps you, that helps support the other cities where you haven't been to say, okay, if this is a loss, at least I have, have this to, to back me up. And uh, unfortunately it's, it's just, that's just the way it's going to be. I think a lot of times, um, you're, you're, you've got your, you've got your, uh, dependent established type things that help you, um, 
be able to to try out and take a few risks on other things. Definitely. So what's working for you or not working for you in live streaming world during the pandemic? Um, the live streaming world, uh, <laughs> really our main thing is just, <laughs> uh, a, a bit on our end is some of the lack of home resource. Uh, <laughs> you know, when, when we started noticing that live streaming was going to be something that could, could benefit us, we thought, Oh, we, we've gone on tour so much that we don't really have any of this stuff at home. <laughs> like everything is, is so tour based, but it was actually really fun to kick back into, we just had to kick our minds back to the beginning and say, well, remember when we just used to have this little plug-in amp and one microphone, you know, and do these duo gigs and they created their own energy and their own vibe. And it was really about kind of returning to that. Um, the main thing for my, like for my specific project is my band is not, um, the, the band that I've been touring with for a few years now is not local. So that eliminated a lot of that process, unfortunately, because I also wasn't going to risk putting any of them on an airplane or putting us on an airplane or anything like that. So we just got really right. creative like we did in the beginning. And, um, my partner and I just uh, just had to sort of create a new thing, and I took the opportunity to, uh, you know, since, uh, you know, I sing at home all the time, and I'm writing, and I thought, well, I started trying to play bass um, years ago before that, and when the when singing became the thing that was paying the bills and that was really leading everything, it just it fell to the wayside, and I was uh, and so the pandemic had, um, and live streaming really pushed me into picking that up again, and I thought, well, what a perfect opportunity while at home and not necessarily something that I'd be entirely comfortable with bringing on the road, but it was a really cool way to con reconnect with fans um, and give them something a little bit different while also really benefiting myself, you know, giving myself an opportunity to learn a new instrument and um, learn a new way of playing and writing music. So that that's been the main um prospect of, of live streaming, um, on our end. Um, now in new Orleans, as the numbers were kind of spiking and everything like that, we were definitely taking breaks. Um, and, um, you know, also trying to just trying to be smart about the situation. Um, it was, really hard to do that because we you know no one knows what's going on but um and and keeping everything really stripped down so that we could distance so just playing as a trio um which also meant creating new music or reformatting arrangements so it's all been a it's all been a huge learning experience as as I'm sure it has been for for everybody but it's been really cool to see the different ways that artists have responded you know seeing people um, either play in venues or seeing them in their homes or creating venues in their homes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been really cool, but yeah, that's, that's been the, the, um, 
that's been the way we've been approaching it, just a, a, a different format and um, and uh, creating something creating something new out of it because hey, we got the time. <laughs> We've got the, you know, what resources we have, we figured out how to use them and, you know, our little 1940s house pushing the power to the absolute limit, (laughs) trying to plug everything in and not piss our neighbors off. Um, But it's been fun. (laughs) Totally. Um, So what's your relationship with merch like? Um, Merch has been... Merch has been a frustration and a huge, huge, huge push on the road. Um, Mainly, my main focus is just the music. um, And that's always kind of been, that's always kind of been um, what I wanted to focus the merchandise on. Um, I wish it was like in the, I I love looking back on like the Kate Bush days where if you see like a Kate Bush t-shirt, you're like, Oh my God, a t-shirt, you know, where I love the artists like that, that like barely ever had any merch and stuff. And, um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, part of me really loves that, but I, I really just do it based on, um, what I think I can sell. And I try not to push myself beyond that. I, I don't yeah. have the space or the budget to really do more than that. And it hasn't really created problems for me. I would rather sell out of things on the road than come home with boxes. And I hope that in many ways that adds some exclusivity to the, to the merchandise. Um, you know, so t-shirts for me are this very touch and go kind of thing that I definitely had a few points where it was a learning experience. Um, you have to start recognizing your fan base to me with, with, with shirts, trying to figure out sizing, um, and what kind of shirts they like. Um, I haven't, I've seen some artists, which is kind of cool. They actually ask up front with their social media, like what, what are you all looking for? What, colors do you like? What types of, you know, things do you like? So I've even, I mean, I've through research just gone back and pulled off of some of that kind of stuff to, to, to play with, but yeah, you, you'll never really see a merch table for me with more than exactly what I need, which might be one or two color options and my music. (laughs) I love Um, that. I don't really have a lot of extras or, you know, my biggest extra has been like stickers and pins, like things that I can give away if you buy music or a shirt, you know what I mean? Or if, um, you know, just, and, and things that just have your information on them. So I figure if I give that sticker away, it's, it's got my name, um, you know, the, the website on some things and then, more often than not, those people later, I see a sale pop up and I even know it's from those people specifically sometimes, you know, or I can recognize that, oh, this is because I gave these stickers away at this show or at this festival. So um, that's, you know, just very indie approach. Um, as much as I love the, the stacked merch tables and stuff, I I could I don't know. For me, that could be a big backfire. So I don't really mess with it too much. Well, it sounds like you have an authentic and genuine approach, and that's why it's working. I hope so. I mean, you know, that's all you can do is (laughs) all you can do is just keep going and, and, um, you know, give it a shot. Uh, I, 
I, that's, that's what I found has worked for me. So I'm just, uh, I'm rolling with that. And, and as things pick, you know, you know, nothing's linear. So, um, sometimes, sometimes there's more of a focus on that. And sometimes it's just about bringing, um, a nice display with your CDs and vinyl and, um, you know, that's all you need. Exactly. And when I used to tour, um, like in the early, early days, we would just have like a, a clip light that we would buy at hardware stores for like 10 or 15 bucks. And it would just illuminate the whole merch table, you know, in the yeah. dingiest club or bar or whatever. So. Absolutely. It can be a really small thing like that. A little string of a little string of a uh, battery powered lights or, you mm-hmm. know, like a, I used to carry around this little vintage suitcase and put the lights in there and set up the CD, you know, that, and that definitely highlights, especially if you don't have a lot of stuff. Um, but one, I think the thing that almost goes above the merch is that I've always made a personal point to be there at the table. And that yes. has probably been the, that is what sells it. I can sell every single CD if I stand out there. Um, and that has definitely brought me a better fan base or a bigger fan base and a, a, a bit more of an authentic fan base to um, to that personal connection versus just like, here's a bunch of shit that I'd want you to buy. And, you know, I'm not going to be out there while you buy it, but you know what I mean? Thank you for your purchase. I want it to be a little bit more than that. So, um, I've just always made a point to do that. Now being the band leader, that has definitely been frustrating sometimes because, you know, we, we put on a really heavy, really high energy, super sweaty rock and roll show. So, I mean, sometimes I'm coming off stage, my eyes are red from sweat being in them. Like my nose is running. I'm, <laughs> you know, and, but people love that. I mean, I'm running over there. Uh, cause I, there was a time when, um, that those were the kind of hints then that told me I needed to hire a person and that it was worth the money spent, whether you're offering, you know, 10 or 15% to a, a person to watch the merch and have it already set up. Um, that was definitely something I didn't do in the beginning that I learned later was a huge benefit because it gave me five minutes to like get off stage, drink some water, wipe my face off, change my shirt, maybe, you know? Yeah. And, but those are things that you learn. And, and, but, and then a lot of that is, it still makes great stories when you think about like, Oh, you just did this epic performance. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're at the merch table. And, and a lot of times people are like, how did you even do, you know, how did you do that? Uh-huh. You're, still, you're still breathing. You're still you know, wiping your face, but um, it's all part of the experience. I, I, that's something that I, I hope will never change. I mean, that's the word that was just in my mind. You're also creating an experience for those fans that they'll never forget. So it's Absolutely. Really yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really cool to buy merch, but it's even cooler to meet the person and have them sign it there. I don't know that just, I know how that made, I know how that makes me feel. Um, and if I can give that to anyone and it's even a trip for me to think people, I just think it's wild. People still even want to meet me, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a wasted opportunity to not go out there and interact. And, and especially yeah. when you're an independent artist and doing something somewhat, 
you know, not necessarily specific, but you're doing something that people are definitely making this choice to, to really be into it. It's, um, it's not just this, it's not just a vibe. It's not just a band. They heard the song on TV. So they're going to see, you know, people are really coming there to experience you. Um, and I think that runs from when you show up for sound check all the way until everyone's out of the building. Agreed. Absolutely. So you've mentioned and alluded to some team members. Uh, tell us about, uh, you know, any team members that you have in place? Um, so pre-pandemic, um, I just, I, I just keep a, a very small team. Like I said, I had, I, um, lead the band. I take care of all the logistics. I've definitely had my trial and error of, um, handing out duties and it just didn't, it didn't work out, um, mainly financially. So a lot of things, especially like booking flights, I I used to try to use, I tried to use an agent that came recommended and, um, and then I pretty quickly would go back and check on things on my own and realize how much money would be saved plus without a commission fee. So a lot of it was definitely trial and error. Um, uh, and, uh, but I feel really, really comfortable. Like, I, I don't know, had it had, had there been time, I probably would be a travel agent also as a side hustle. Cause I have to say I'm really good at it, <laughs> but uh, kind of by, kind of by default, but I'm really, really good at it. Um, and I, and that also comes from having a band that is not local. So, you know, this comes down to not just, not just logistics for, you know, myself or for my partner, you know, that are, together and, and traveling, but, but it comes down to handling it essentially for five people. Um, but, um, you know, I'm doing that. And then I, uh, work with a, you know, I, I forget how you explained it in your book, but just that all around helper, <laughs> um, uh-huh. it's been uh, Harry Turner that I work with that helps me with a little bit of tour management helps me, um, helps me with, um, uh, helped me a lot with a uh, radio lists and promotion and basically a person that uses their uses their connections and uses their sources and we can, we put our heads together. And that's essentially how, how our bond works is we put our heads together and, um, and just make things happen. I don't know how else to explain it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's, it's great to, it's great to have that source. And again, that, that person that can, I trust to be representative of my voice when, you know, I'm in the middle of driving, I'm in the middle of flying, um, you know, a a person that, and some people don't want to, some people, um, some promoters and people you work with want that person too. And they don't, it's, it's funny, the responses sometimes, I don't know if this is your experience of the artists talking directly with certain aspects of the business versus having like a representative, um, it's kind of interesting how that works and it's all very situational, right? Um, yeah. so I've always found it in my best interest with a lot of my tours 
uh, especially working with tours that are filled with festivals that I need help. And that that's primarily how that started was because I was doing tours that, you know, sure we were playing club dates, but there's many years where I'm playing like 30 to 40 festivals and I need help with that. Um, I need help dealing with those numbers and dealing with, um, and, and especially they're dealing with merch where you've got a line of, you know, hundreds of people versus like maybe your club dates, which might not be as, um, you know, in a smaller venue it is something that I can handle on my own. Um, so there's that. And then, um, I book us booking agency, uh, intrepid artists has been the primary agency I've been working with, or also uh, Carolina based, which is why I know them, um, being from North Carolina. Um, and then, uh, got a couple of different agencies in Europe, um, depending on, you know, depending on what country, uh, what country we're setting up touring, Um, that has definitely changed over the years or, you know, you, you have an agency just for a tour or, you know, things like that. Um, but I found it really helpful to have a direct, you know, if I'm going to play a festival in Spain, it helps to have a promoter that works that actually works there in Spain. Um, that, uh, you know, it's like having another, it's like having, um, another close team member over there that again can help speak for you and help, um, represent. Um, and Hey, that's, that's, that's about it. I love (laughs) it. It's it's small, you know, I, I, but, but that little bit helps me just put the focus on the music and on the band, um, who I, you know, my, the biggest thing for me is just taking care of my people. I I take that super seriously. I want everyone to have the best experience they can on the tour so that we can all make sure that the fans have the best experience at the show. And, um, even with whatever stress and extra money I might spend to do that at times, it has, it's always paid off musically. Amazing. Very cool. Um, well, just one last question for you, Nikki. What mm-hmm. does building a sustainable music career mean to you? Building a sustainable music career. Um, uh, what does that mean? I, it, to me, it means, um, it, to me, it means just getting your, getting your income revenue together. First off, um, making sure you have a handle. If you, if you can just take a moment to, I love the chart. I love the chart style that you recommend, but you know, however that, however that, uh, works for people, um, whether that's creating an Excel chart, if that's writing it out by hand, because that's what you do, but finding a way to keep track of your revenue stream, um, finding a way to, and, and that to me gives you another way to analyze what works and what doesn't. Um, that's something that, um, and this is not just this was with trial and error myself of figuring that out, but there's a lot of times in the beginning when I started that things were just moving so quickly and so wildly that I can't say that there's, there's times I look back and I'm like, wow, if only I had done this during that time, who knows 
what could happen or, you know, you're, you're going to have that your entire career, I think. Um, Cause a lot of it is just hitting the ground running, but if you can somehow chart and give yourself at least once a month to just look back, look back on your sales, look back on your streams, look back on your tours and um, analyze for yourself what works and what doesn't, and then put that into place for the next process. Um, I think that's, Sometimes at, at most what you can do to, to, to keep building uh, something that's sustainable, but you do have to be in control of it and do have to look at it and analyze it as annoying and, and as not, as, as not musical as it is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's important to have some kind of, some points, um, of time where you, where you study that and, um, and try to get a grasp on it as much as possible. And I would say, you know, even when that's painful, um, it, it's going to free you up to make more music, hopefully. That's the point. To, you know, when you're taking Absolutely. that time. And, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, and uh, it's, it's part of it. It's, it's part of if you've decided that this is what you want to do and this is, um, this is the way that you're making your income, especially, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's essential, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I don't have the experience or advice to give to someone that might, it might be more of a weekend thing or a hobby type thing, but if it's about that being your source, then it, it's, it's like anything. I mean, when you, when you work your, when you work your day job and you, you, you look over your pay stub, you know, about your hours, you know, about the taxes coming out, you know, you know, you know where that money's going. So it's, it's the same thing. You know what I mean? You have to, if, if you're planning on surviving, I don't, I don't know how it wouldn't be essential. Um, especially if you are working independently. And I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've done this with no investors, no crowdfunding, um, literally just off of budgeting and attempting to distribute that money in the best way and, and the best of my abilities. But if I just ignored it, it, it would not work out. Amazing. Um, well, Nikki Hill, this was so fun. It's been so great talking to you. Yay. Um, thank you. Yes. Please let everyone know uh, where they can find you. You can find me on my website at NikkiHillRocks.com. I'm also on Instagram at NikkiHillRocks and uh, Facebook at Nikki Hill Music. Um, oop, I forgot Twitter at NikkiHillRocks. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's the best place to start. Uh, I've got an email list you can subscribe to on my website. Um, and I'm always there for contacts. When you, when you send out an email, you are talking directly to me. When you send a message on any of my social platforms, you are, it's coming directly to me. So, um, I am always very excited to connect with people and to answer your questions and hopefully be performing again. Um, very soon. <laughs> you will. You definitely will this year in 2021 when this airs. That's awesome. Yes. Um, awesome. Well, everybody check out Nikki's music. Um, it's amazing. And again, thank you, Nikki, for so much of your time. I really appreciate it. 
Absolutely, Emily. Thank you again. And truly, truly, truly appreciate this book. Um, It's so awesome to have one resource. (laughs) I can't... I can't emphasize that enough. And and like I've told you before, it was the 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 way the book reads is seriously like sitting down and having like a long coffee with a friend that just really knows how to break it down. And um I I really love that approach to it. It um it I couldn't put the book down, which um which is huge because business is the part that, you know, is such a touchy thing. It's usually something you don't want to approach and somehow you made it, you made me want to read and understand everything. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Like that means the world to me, Nikki. Thank you (laughs) so, so much. Absolutely. So that's a wrap for this episode of how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. Today, we did another episode on chapter 11, repeat and grow, this time with Nikki Hill. Uh, Catch us on the next episode where we dig into, let me pull up the actual chapter title. Uh, When do I need an attorney, a business manager, and or a manager defining an artist traditional team? And and that is the final, I'll probably do some more episodes after that, but that is the final chapter of the book. So Catch you next time. Have a great day, night, uh, whatever, wherever you are. Thanks again.